Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Because if you obsess over everything that could possibly go wrong when you're an entrepreneur, you're not going to be able to sleep at night and you're probably going to get cancer or something from all that stress. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Daniel Mullen, welcome to the show. I'm honored to be here, Finn. I'm a big fan of your work and what you've done with your passion, which is pretty niche. I feel like a lot of people make excuses about, oh, I, I can't make a living out of BMX or out of fashion. I'm just going to go get a job at a dental hygienist position or in a law firm. And you've managed to monetize your passion for music and you've done it damn well. So it's cool to see from the outside, dude. Same to you. I make more. I, I watched the interview you did with Adam on No Jumper, which is awesome. You know, both of us make more doing our dumb bullshit on the internet than I did working for Abercrombie and Fitch. I make four times more now than I did when I was working for Abercrombie as a designer, you know, on uh, brands making billions of dollars a year. I make four times more doing this bullshit on YouTube than I did then. I could have seen you as being one of the shirtless boy whores that stand out front. I didn't think designer, but okay. Yeah, no, I, I uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I wasn't cut out for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's true. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because aside from being funny, um, I, I think you're actually really insightful. You know, as I was, I was telling everybody about you earlier and I said, yes, he is a thoughtless, obnoxious asshole, but at the same time, he's he's also a very thoughtful, insightful person at the same time, and uh, and and I think that's an interesting combination. Like, was uh, my wife was like, who is who is this guy? And I was like, well, he's kind of like if Trevor Wallace was an asshole. Mm, yeah, if Trevor Wallace walked around the Las Vegas Strip with two forties, yelling nonsense at everybody who walked by, I guess that would be me. Yeah, well, how, how how do you describe yourself to people? Is it comedy, pranks, or how do, how do you describe it? I don't know. I mean, I started out wanting to be a comedy writer, but the demands of having to put out a YouTube video every week make you get out of your comfort zone. Just like with you, you started out doing mini documentaries, essentially, on various trends in music straight edge or the mall emo thing that happened in the early 2000s. But I'm sure at some point you realized I've kind of said my bit on what's going on, yeah. or maybe I've got more to say, but I don't know if I can say something profound weekly or bi-weekly. I'm going to start vlogging my life a little bit. And that's what happened to me. It went from very scripted comedy. Um, I wanted to be a writer on The Simpsons or on The Office or something like that to me having to go out into the street and be the star of my own little sitcom or not even sitcom, my own little unscripted reality show. So I, it's hard to narrow down what I do. Whatever I think is funny and interesting, I go out and shoot that in public every week. When did you realize that the 
that being a writer was not going to happen. I mean, not that it couldn't, but you, you sort of decided, all right, I'm going to not pursue that. Um, I think maybe I decided to not do that for the same reasons that you decided to leave Abercrombie. And am I correct in saying that your wife, didn't she leave Amazon? Mm -hmm. She left the corporate world too. It, some point, and especially now, you realize that to exist in a corporate environment, you pretty much, I mean, you you have to guard everything you say. Yes. It's very 1984 now. Big Brother. You really can't have your own personality. Uh, you have to p be worried about anything you tweeted out in 2012 that might not be up to HR standards at Amazon or Abercrombie and Fitch. And that scared the hell out of me having to be a fake person and never let my guard down in the workplace. So that's what dissuaded me from going and being a Hollywood writer where the political correctness is probably at its worst. Oh yeah, absolutely. The self-righteous smugness. Yeah. It would just be unfucking bearable to be in a room with those people, you know, 10 hours a day, six days a week. Yeah, and it's it's not even that they're leaning left on the political spectrum. No, no, no. It's the smugness it's, and the just the yeah. yeah, exactly. You can think what you want. It's just the the way that they express it is so sure. smarmy and just disgustingly douchey. Sure, sure. And it's it, it feels so robotic. It feels like they're programmed to send out like an anti-Trump tweet at noon <laughs> every day and to post something about Bernie Sanders every night before going to bed. It just, it feels so inauthentic too. Right. Well, I mean, especially knowing what we know now about what shit bags so many of those people are, you know, yeah. uh, it's like everybody's a shit bag on all sides. And the fact that one political side pretends they aren't, that they're better than everybody else is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, everyone's a shit bag. What I don't like about it is that, when you're working for someone else, uh, and, and to be clear, I think it's totally valid to work for someone else if you want to. And, um, you know, depending on where you're at in life, I'm glad I did. But what, what I don't like about it at this point in my life is that there's a ceiling to your success. Like, so no matter how good of a job you do, so like at a corporation, if you do a really, really, really good job, like if you fucking knock it out of the park, like, well, Danny, um, really excited to offer you a 5% raise this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like 5%? Yeah. Yeah. If you're making $72,000 and you're 45 years old, what is yeah. that going to bump you up to? 73.5? Right. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's 5% for fucking generating tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in value for this company. Mm -hmm. And I get yeah. 3,500 bucks. Gee, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at a big company. I suppose if you get in early somewhere and you're one of the first five or 10 guys in, then it's different. But That's then, a better yeah, place then, to be. Then it's, you're building a thing that you own, which is more similar to what we're, or you own a part of, which is more similar to what we're doing. And you know, that that's the part I didn't like about it. Yeah. There's also a lot of pressure that comes with being the number one guy though. The guy who mm -hmm. all the pressure falls upon. Like I was just talking about, I just got off the phone with my attorney and my head is still spinning. The complexity, I mean, on top of the struggles of just getting my content out every week, I now have to go meet with my accountant. I have to go to Bank of America and make sure my credit cards are split up so my business and my personal expenses don't cross over because that can mean a big lawsuit. Stressful to be the number one guy, too. It is. And there's nobody to pass the buck to. If you fuck something up or you know your channel gets deleted, you can't call the marketing department or the attorney and ask for help. It's like, it's on you. There's there's no safety net. 
which freaks me out sometimes. And, you know, maybe I should be more chill about it, but I don't think people understand that, you know, people who don't work for themselves, I don't think they understand, you know, that the gun is to your, the gun is at your head like that all the time. And, you know, that's, uh, I don't know if that's, you know, it's like anything else It's a double-edged sword on the one hand, I'm happy to have that because it's a forcing mm-hmm. function that really makes me like dig deep and find a way to do what I want to do. On the other hand, it like literally keeps me up at night. So yeah, I, I had that problem a lot too. And I'm sure more so than you, because your content compared to mine, the CEO of YouTube could stumble across your channel and be like, oh, this is cute, but I'm sure she would hate my guts. I'm certain of that. So I've definitely struggled with that. And I think you just need to stay positive about it because if you obsess over everything that could possibly go wrong when you're an entrepreneur, you're not going to be able to sleep at night and you're probably going to get cancer or something from all that stress. You just have to be positive and assume that if you do the right things, things are going to work out. And even if you or I got kicked off YouTube, I'm optimistic and that I think you and I would still find a way to make it happen. We would have a Spotify and iTunes podcast. We would have our own website. We would have just our Instagram and Twitter presence. If you're good and you refuse to take no for an answer, you're going to be successful. That's my opinion. Yep. Yep. I think that's right. And if you and if that doesn't sound fun to you, then you should go work for somebody else because you know, when, when you work for someone else, you have one job and they want you to stay in that lane and do your thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you do a good job at that, nobody expects you to put out every fire that comes up. Mm-hmm. I noticed this in your interview with Adam also that you think of yourself as an entrepreneur and a business owner, which I think is kind of unusual for creators. Most people don't. I don't remember that interview. I was very hungover. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> I, well, it I, I, I guess that's an innocent thing I said. I said I was an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, maybe you said it in another one. I don't know. But I noticed that about you, which is not common. Have you always thought that way or did that switch flip at some point or what makes you think that way? It was just the virtue of this job. You have to start thinking like an entrepreneur when you realize that, especially for my videos, hey, I don't get ad revenue off of these. I was going to ask. So you must get demonetized a lot. Yeah. Occasionally, they'll slip through the net, my videos. But I realized pretty quickly that if I wanted to make money on YouTube, I was going to have to learn the ins and outs of merch and Patreon, or I was going to have to keep wiping down tables at my busboy job. Wow. So so you basically just assume you're going to make $0 off ads. Yeah. But my stuff is pretty unique on the internet. So it, people like it enough that they'll contribute on Patreon and with merch. And a lot of people have very bland content, like the teen yeah. TikTok niche. I mean, that's, you. it's interchangeable. Fucking Josh Richards or what Blake Hall or whatever these kids' names are. I can't even keep track. Those guys, it's all the same content. Nobody has that deep of a connection. So they just get paid off AdSense. And I don't, I'm not sure that they can make that money, much money off Patreon. But you and I, it's such a specific niche and such a, a tight community we have that that's a very lucrative business model for us. Right, right. Yeah. The like narrow and deep versus wide but shallow. Absolutely. Well, speaking of music, again, you maybe you don't remember this, but on the uh, on that No Jumper uh, interview, I liked it a lot. You had some bold opinions about music. I don't remember giving those, so please enlighten me. <laughs> okay, well let's uh, let's talk about ska. I don't remember anything I said about ska. Did I say it sucks because there are horns and guys in suspenders? Yeah, more or less. Okay, I agree with that. I had no idea how angry ska fans are. I think I made some pretty innocuous jokes 
about how obviously ridiculous ska is. And like <laughs> somebody called me racist because I don't like real big fish. <laughs> what? Aren't they all white? As far as I remember. This is what it comes down to, Finn. If you're not playing a style of music that's going to get you laid at the lowest level, because you can't count on being a major label act. If you can't go to a coffee shop or a local small venue and get laid off what you're doing on stage, you're, you're in the wrong genre. And ska does not get you laid. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> ska chicks? They're probably actually hot. They're probably really hot. I'm sure it's happened. We want to imagine that they look like Gwen Stefani. I don't, I, I'm yeah. thinking it's maybe more like, uh, what's what's her name? Flo from Progressive? Yes, yes, absolutely. Maybe, but you know, that's okay. I'm imagining Kate Perry with a polka dotted bikini top and big glasses. That's like me. That's the ideal ska fan that I'm imagining in my head. It's just odd to me that a genre of music that is so obviously ridiculous and bad would have such angry, intense, aggressive fans. You faced the wrath of the ska fans, huh? Yeah, I had no idea. You know, like I made a video talking shit about black metal and I was not surprised that, you know, I got lots of hateful, angry comments about that one because it's black metal. You're so respectful in all your videos. I watch a lot of your videos and I feel like you don't really talk shit about anything. Well, you know, the reason why is just because I, I know a lot of people. There's a 90% chance that the person I'm talking about in the video, like if they're in a band, is going to watch it or that somebody I know knows them and will send it to them or something like that. And so I don't want to say anything in a video that I wouldn't say to that person's face. Sure. And sometimes that means I have to muzzle. Well, I don't have to, but sometimes that means I choose to muzzle myself a little bit. Sure. I totally can relate to that. It's another thing that the average person can't relate to. And it's another thing we have to navigate is semi-public figures. Right. Is I've said a lot of stuff into a microphone on a podcast that has gotten me in trouble with my family, with roommates, with my girlfriend. For you, dudes who play bass and metal bands, it happens. I'm shocked. Yeah. You're shocked, huh? I, I'm absolutely shocked. Like we were before this, we were watching your uh your iPhone blackface video. Oh yeah, that one's pretty gnarly. It is, but you know, this is what I like about your content is is that that was meta. That was not the joke there isn't blackface is funny. Yeah. The joke is these fucking brain dead people were willing to go on camera, sign a fucking model release with blackface on after they realized they had been had, they still signed the fucking release. That's the joke. Yeah. And that was one of my most antisocial videos in terms <laughs> of pissing other people in the space off, which is sort of on the subject that we're talking about right now. Well, that's what I was going to say is because you went in on a bunch of those other prank YouTubers. Yeah. And I've since backed off of that. I've since realized I don't really have the temperament to be the Conor McGregor of YouTube and just call out everything I don't like and speak my mind at all times. Yeah. In that video, I'm attacking the genre of a YouTuber who just, and this is super specific. I doubt much of your audience is going to be familiar with it, but guys who just walk around college campuses, flirting with girls the videos that if take 30 minutes to that. film. Yeah, just just like the trying to capture the college audience while still staying brand friendly niche on YouTube. I just laid into it, I mean, it's barely content. The stuff they make, you know, agreed, dude. Like you said, the one guy who's just talking to the dude on the beach. Yeah, 
you thought like of the five hours of footage that you shot, this was like, oh yeah, man, ship that. That's it. What What is that guy? That is, that was epic. I think so. Forget that guy's YouTube channel name. Even. I mean, even just that, that's a YouTube channel name. that's going to sound great in 10 years. In 10 years, the three of us are probably all going to look at our bank statements and you and I are going to want to kill ourselves compared <laughs> to that guy. So it, that is may, he might point. get the last laugh. Or like those uh, super blatantly fake like unboxing videos. Like what's those two twins? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know about that one. There's these two twins that do these unboxing videos that they'll... How old are they? Like probably, I don't know, 20 or something. Okay. But their audience, it's for like nine-year-olds. They're like, we ordered... They say everything like they're you know on math. They're like, we ordered this surprise package off of the dark web. And they said there were 10 iPhones inside. Let's open it up and see what it is. And like... It's just complete nonsense. They They... Yeah. Got their neighbor to drop off of a cardboard box with some stuff that they'd planted in that cardboard box. Yeah. And they, it's like they don't even really try to hide how fake it is because their audience is literally in third grade. And every video has fucking four million views. It's insane. And another guy I'll go after who I respect as a businessman, but as a content creator, is in that same vein that you just described is Mr. Beast, dude. We've done two videos at Slab City, which is the alleged city with no laws in California. I've gone there twice and basically risked my life on both occasions to get content there. He did a 24 hour challenge in Slab City, Mr. Beast, and they get there. They don't even interact with any of the locals who, by the way, are meth heads, typically armed with knives and tomahawks or at the very least um, a hepatitis ridden hypodermic needle. It's like Mad Max or Fallout. Yes, it's a post-apocalyptic enclave in California, but he interacts with none of these people. And if I remember remembering correctly, he claims that somebody in his squad got a stomach ache at 8 p.m. And they arrived, I think, at 3.37 p.m. So they were there for like an afternoon. And the title of the video is 24 hour survival challenge in Slab City. They leave at 8 p.m. I mean, the video should be fucking taken down for false advertising, but that's just how Mr. Beast makes content. And right. the thumbs up, thumbs down ratio is nauseatingly positive, And it makes me hate the platform sometimes. Do you ever wonder, and this might sound incredibly douchey and arrogant for me to say, but sometimes I wonder, is my content too good? Yeah, it's a serious thing to consider because... If you're putting in 80 hours a week to make a video and you're reaching the point of burnout, maybe you do have to, especially if you're just your views and your your merch sales aren't doing that well. I've had to reconsider and be like, maybe I need to focus more on the business side of things on whether that be uh, making my videos reach a new audience through getting on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, or whether that's upping my merchandise output. And this is something that you balance really, really well. I was watching your thumbnail optimization video or one you did on that subject recently, and you break things down much more technically than I do. But to get back to your original question, yeah, that thought comes to your head. When you put out something that you think is the best work you've done and it underperforms, it can get frustrating. But Finn, I think long term, that's a good problem to have because I think that's what's going to keep that dedicated audience yeah. um, even in the midst of slumps and algorithm adjustments done by YouTube, things we have no control over. I think um, just putting out good content is a good insurance policy to make sure that you can continue making a living. But don't you ever just just ask yourself, 
why don't I just go make a video of me saying hi to girls for half an hour, collect five grand in ad revenue and go home? Well, the thing is, Finn, like, what if you and I did that? And I don't know what your version of that would be, maybe covering John Mayer songs. It'd be like 10 surprising facts about Slipknot. <laughs> that doesn't sound too bad. That sounds, that's, I'd watch See? that video. I'd exactly. But like, it, I mean, if, too you, hard. if you were really doing videos that you hated and I was doing videos that I hated, we wouldn't be able to weather the natural ups and downs of this business because something people don't realize is that views for a large part are out of your control. Yeah. I mean, views are seasonal. There are up and down seasons in views. I don't care how good your thumbnail is, how strong your title is. It'll help if you're doing a really good job in that regard. But sometimes views are just fucking down and things are just tough. And if you hate what you're doing and you don't believe in it, I do not think you'll be able to get through that winter. Yeah, I I kind of had one of those moments in whatever, June or July or something like that. Whenever things started reopening again, my views went down like 20 percent and it sucks. But there's I mean, people don't want to be inside on YouTube. They want to be out doing shit. Yeah, for me, it was sort of the opposite. This spring had was my downtime. Like I had a bad spring and then as summer started, it started kicking back up again. You know, but you just got to get through those things. And, you know, like you said, if, if this is something you're really, truly passionate about and you really believe in, you know, it's like, well, I, I have no choice but to just keep going because this is what I do. Yeah. You know, anybody that's, I, I really think people underestimate how much of a grind this stuff is. And I'm not saying this, obviously this is not working in the coma. I did printing for like six years, which is horrible, awful work. You know, you've, you know, been, you know, in shitty, you know, pulling the puke out of the urinal, you know, jobs and stuff. So, you know, th this is way better than those jobs, but I do think people underestimate what a grind it can be. Sure. And that's something I've had to prioritize, man, because uh, I'm not sure how long you've been on YouTube, but for me, it's just over four years now. About the same for me. Four years. Damn, dude. You, I didn't realize you've been on so long. I thought you were sort of a recent phenomenon. You started popping up in my recommended like maybe last year. Well, I sucked for a while. So yeah, so did I. But a lot of those videos still got views, even though they were awful. Having come up on the four year mark, I'm starting to realize that we're in this for the long haul, as I'm sure you've realized too. I used to have this mindset any single video I put out could potentially get a million views and change my life. It could be the video that blew up. And if I let off the gas at any point, my mindset was that the next video could drop down to 5,000 views. Yep. And my income that month could go back down to $700. Yep. And I'm starting to realize more and more that, okay, I belong here. I have a, a fan base and I have a talent that is economically feasible and that my approach should be a little more long-term, meaning I need to be happier on a day-in, day-out basis so that I don't end up in an asylum somewhere or I don't pick up a gnarly drinking problem. So I really have this year, I prioritized reading a lot of self-help books and meditating and staying healthy and picking up a hobby again, just in order to uh, not burn out and not feel like I'm on this hamster wheel grind. I feel in some ways more anxious than I did when I wasn't making any money and didn't have any traction because it's like, Oh God, I built this thing. Like I got what yeah. I wanted. Now I have to make sure it doesn't fall apart. 
Sure. Yeah, I went through that totally. It's just you you can't keep living like that, though, dude. It's just going to be it's going to be miserable when even on your day off, like I take Sunday off. You have days off. Oh, my gosh. That sounds amazing. You don't take any days off. No, because I have uh, I have a whole other like company that I'm part of besides YouTube. So keeps me pretty busy. I know you're doing your main channel. Then you do a consulting business, right? Is that what you're talking about? So I'm part of a company called the URM Academy. We teach people how to record and mix music. Okay. That's totally different. Yeah, totally different. I basically do like all, you know, operational kind of stuff there. I help run the customer support team and get the website built and all that kind of stuff. Totally different. I've been doing that for like five years now. So yeah, no days off, but that's okay. I'm, I, I like all the stuff I'm doing. Are you going to get rid of that gig and just go to YouTube full-time when it's viable? No, if anything, I would do the opposite because I'm actually more passionate about building businesses than I am about YouTube or music. Uh, I never expected to be this successful on YouTube. So if, if I had to choose, I, I would rather be building a technology business than I would make videos about Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Venge Sevenfold or My Chemical Romance, which videos I've enjoyed. Thank you. I'm very grateful for it. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. But gun to my head, if I had to choose, I would choose that. That's important, man. You know, the, the older I get, especially, I, uh, I'm i grateful for attention, but I don't seek it out exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you realize pretty quickly. I think we all had these fantasies when we were in high school and in our 20s that it'd be cool to be famous and to get recognized on the street and to occasionally have a girl direct message you. But then when these things start happening and when you have attention and an audience, you realize that, I mean, it's still basically just a job and this attention is just part of the job. I'm very grateful for it. Don't get me wrong. It's cool, but you realize that getting off on the attention is a path to not good things pretty quickly. Yes, I'm grateful for it, but I don't, I'm not addicted to it. Like I think some people appear to be. You know, like you see some of these people in these reality shows that, you know, their life is clearly spiraling out of control and it's all happening on TV. And they're like, I have to do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, no, you don't. You could just stop doing any of this anytime. You could just quit the show. Yeah. Well, assuming they have some money saved up, which I doubt. But but even if they don't, like if it's if it's just like completely destroying your sanity. Yeah. Totally. You don't have to do this. And especially yeah. people who are rich already, like the Kardashians or something. It's like, you're clearly addicted to fame or else you would have quit a long time ago because I sure would have. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's the supreme goal is just to get to the amount of money where you can do literally anything you want from that point on. The freedom, like the mental freedom that would provide seems so juicy to me. It's, yep. it's And um like I can't under, I don't understand people like John Belushi or like a guy you just talked about in one of your recent videos, Chester from Lincoln Park. It's crazy to me that people who are so wealthy and if they were sad, they could literally just go, go start playing golf or go learn about archery. You can do you can go fishing every day. You can do anything. And I just I want to reach that point so badly. But I guess it's kind of foolish on my part because clearly it doesn't solve all of your problems. It doesn't, but you know, if uh, a lot of people listening to or watching this probably grew up poor, and you know that not having money definitely, definitely sucks. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on welfare, you know, single mother and all that stuff, and I've worried about money my whole life. Even though now I don't really have to, I still, I think I probably always will, just because it's like ingrained in my character to like be worried and always feel like the other shoe's about to drop and something bad's going to happen, and like I have to, I don't know, hoard is the right word, but it's like. I have I have more money now than I ever thought I would in my life. I'm not I'm not it's not like you know 
anything crazy by the standards of people who are actually rich, but it's more than I ever thought. I mean, considering that until I was like in my thirties, I never even had 10 grand in the bank, you know, until I was like 34 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Same dude. I, I was always negative $2,000 in debt because that was the limit on my credit card for my entire twenties. Exactly. So to, you know, have more, <laughs> to have more than $0. Like I remember, I remember at one point my goal was I was like, oh, by the time I'm 40, I want my net worth to be zero. <laughs> I, literally, because I owed so much money for like student loans and stuff. And like I had so much debt. I was like, man, that would be amazing just to have a net worth of zero. Have you achieved this goal? Oh, yeah. No, we're, 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 we're good now. Finn McKinty is worth $5 USD. Exactly. I'm Canadian, but you know. Sorry. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it's like $3, you know, American or something. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a number that you have in mind that you could live off of interest income or? My goal right now, because I really believe in goal setting and auto suggestion and a lot of hocus pocus stuff I've picked up from various books. The goal I have written down right now is to have $1.5 million invested wisely in index funds. Just very, very unsafe. That exact number. Yep. Yeah. My goal is in is August 8th, 2023 to have that figure. Okay. And I find value in being really aggressive about goal setting, but you have to be somewhat realistic because for a while, that number I had written down was 10 million and I couldn't get myself to believe it in that right. short of a time frame. So I've since scaled it back. But yeah, $1.5 million, just living off the interest from that minus taxes is about 70 grand a year, yep. which is a good spot. But even if you just don't touch that 70 grand and you just work at fucking Quiznos, that money is going to double roughly every 10 years. So yeah, that's, it's long story short, it's a good place to be in. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. That's, that's where, that's where uh, I'm at too. It's interesting. You're talking about goal setting because that's a thing I've had to really work on with myself a lot is uh, setting higher goals because you know, growing up the way I did, which I won't, I, you know, it's not some awful sob story. There's lots of other people who, you know, grew up way worse than I did. It sounds like it's going to make you not make terrible financial decisions because you value money so much. It sounds like that's the positive. That's the positive. But the the negative is that it's made me sort of doubt that certain things are possible that are like the idea of having a million dollars, like at one point would have seemed laughable to me. Now I know that it's totally attainable, but I, I've really had to push myself to like, think bigger. I mean, even just like with YouTube, I, I, for a while I was like, oh, well, I'll probably only be able to do this for another year or two before people don't care about me anymore and nobody cares and then whatever, that's fine. But now I'm trying to flip the switch and go, well, no, why can't I do this forever? I'm, I enjoy this. I'm making a lot of money at it. Like, why can't I do it forever? There's no, there's no rule. Yeah, man. It just, um, something, uh, I guess it was in think and grow rich Napoleon Hill thoughts are things and the universe responds to them, both thoughts of riches and thoughts of poverty. You make your own reality. God has not determined your destiny. You make it as you go. And your thoughts are every bit as real as the tree and the fire hydrant in front of your house. And you determine your own life's path. If you think it's possible for you to stay on YouTube and continue making money and make a million dollars, it's possible. If you don't believe it's going to happen and more than 50% of the time you're thinking about how it's all going to come crashing down, it's all going to come crashing down. Yep. I think of it as that you will get what you want, but what you want is expressed by your actions, not your thoughts. Like just like you were grinding away, toiling, trying to make, you know, something out of this comedy thing. It isn't, it didn't work out the way you thought it would, but it did work out because you never stopped 
putting effort into it. I will say that I totally agree that that working really hard is important and I work my ass off now. But with the mental thing, I remember in 2016 and 2015, I was still working really, really hard at comedy and trying to make it happen. And I was in the lowest point of my life. I lost a restaurant job. I was struggling to find another one. I was living in San Francisco. It was a particularly rainy winter. I mean, I was borderline suicidal. And that's when I wasn't reading. I didn't know much about goal setting or how to run my mind. And it just seemed like no matter how much work I did, I was not getting results. And when I started reading and when I started understanding the things I just mentioned, goal setting, meditation, how to think correctly, it, it's, it was amazing how fast things turned around in my life. And it still moved in increments. It wasn't like I all of a sudden was cashing six-figure checks. Right. But suddenly, my, I had an audience online. And then the next thing I knew, I was able to pay my bills. I wasn't able to save any money, but I was able to pay my bills. And now, much like you said earlier, I have more money than I ever imagined I could have. And you look back and you're like, holy fuck, running your mind the right way works. And it needs to happen in tandem with hard work. Otherwise, you're not going to get where you want to get to. I think it's a really gross thing right now that there's people who are like, anytime we say stuff like this, I'm sure there's people in chat right now saying how, oh, that must be nice. And well, I can't do that because blah, blah, blah. There's this real sort of narrative that, that, oh, you're doomed. So don't even try. And, and I hate that because I know it's not true. And, you know, uh, people will talk about privilege and stuff like that. All right, fine. But you cannot change the circumstances of your, of your birth. They are what they are. And first of all, I'd say anybody who's born an able-bodied person in the West with a fucking smartphone won the lottery you got all the privilege in the world, number one. Number two, you can't change the, the circumstances of your birth. All you can change is the actions that you take based on the cards that you've been dealt. It seems to me that these are people who want to make excuses and would rather focus on the reasons why they can't do something rather than take action to do it. Yeah. And the influences the average person has are so bad. I mean, you go to college and every prof professor tells you that capitalism in America is evil and that um, certain people in society have no shot at success. Right. And then the media is trying to scare the shit out of you. Don't leave your house. The Delta variant. Joe Biden is telling you that you're a downtrodden little poor baby and you need the government money. It's just I mean, in school, you don't have any strong influences in most young people's lives. They don't have the positive philosophies that we're talking about right now. They don't have access to them or they do. They just don't go out there and find them. I totally agree with you, man. You just got to make a decision at some point. Do I want to be miserable and broke? and just wither up and die when I'm 55 from a heart attack? Or do I want to at least give living life in the way I dream of a shot? Yeah. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This 
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. What really did it for me is, um, do you know the book Extreme Ownership? Yes, by Jocko Willink. Yeah, have you read it? I haven't read that one because that one was more business oriented. I read uh, Discipline Equals Freedom, okay. I believe, which is like the picture book one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's great. It was great. You know, you read Think and Grow Rich and Seneca and stuff. So you're not the dumb comedy guy. Sometimes. I don't know if you've seen all of my catalog. There are some dumb ones in there. It was weird to me because nothing in that book, like there's nothing in that book I didn't already know, but there's something about just the way that he put it in the time in my life or whatever. I read that book and it just, I got this weird sense after reading. I was like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy or that it's going to happen overnight. But I was like, if it's a choice on my part, if I want to have the life, you know, if I want to build a business doing X, Y, and Z, I can just do that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, dude, you you have to constantly be re-exposed to that message. Like you said, you knew that, but it had faded out of the forefront of your mind and you'd probably started to dip into that. Woe is me. Mm -hmm. The world is evil. I can't get by. You probably started to slip into that mindset. That's why um, 
a lot of people that I look up to recommend that you have to read something uplifting and inspirational for at least 30 minutes a day. I, I do it constantly. I'm reading business books, uh, self-help books. Every morning when I wake up, I have a routine just to get back on that mindset. I don't, I don't even want to waste a single day slipping back into our old way of thinking. I make a very conscious effort not to consume content and media and stuff that's going to put me on that negative mental pathway. And sometimes I notice myself doing it. I'm listening to some show reading. I'm like, it's like, I used to read a lot of stuff that make me mad, you know, politics and current events. I'm like, oh, can you believe blah, blah, blah? Like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy did that. And I was like, wait a minute, why the fuck am I wasting my, this is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough balance to find. I don't think I found it yet because we have a podcast and we should have some knowledge of current events. I find myself reading the LA times because it's local to where I live and it might be useful for the videos I shoot, but it just, it makes me so angry because not only is it a, a mainstream newspaper, which is not going to get any clicks or any views unless every story scares the shit out of you, but it also has this, the typical brainwashed California left-wing bent. So it's I, I'm constantly aggravating myself by reading that. So <laughs> I don't know what the solution is. You don't want to bury your head in the sand and just ignore the world, but if there's something important, we'll find out about it. Yeah. Do we need to get a blow-by-blow blow account of everything that the politician said on Twitter today? Probably not. No. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with politics. I mean, if big, widespread things that are happening, but you're so right. Like, I mean, if everybody in the United States is going to be held down by FBI agents and given forcefully the vaccine, we're going to find out about that, whether or not we're flipping through the paper every day. Whether the governor of Nebraska said something stupid about vaccines last Tuesday. And do we need to read five think pieces dissecting all his tweets about it? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point, man. Yeah. It's, it's still something I'm figuring out. I'm new, new enough to the podcasting world where I don't really know where my voice is in the direction of my show. Well, that's, you know, I think that's like a thing that we have to, it's a muscle we have to build is like, how do you interact with the world such that you can do your job, but still look out for your mental health? And, you know, music, music yeah. is super negative too. I mean, at least rock yeah. is like everyone, people are, I mean, I talk about this all the time in my videos, these rock people are so nasty and negative and like all the music, the lyrics and shit are so negative and nasty that it does, it does affect my mental health. Sometimes I can tell sometimes it's just like wearing a backpack full of bricks sometimes. Dude, I, uh, I'm wearing the, the original Clash album shirt right now, and it's one of my favorite albums ever, but I had to stop listening it, to it at one point because there are so many songs on this album about just being poor and being hopeless. And I was listening to it a lot right when I was getting my YouTube channel off the ground, and I realized this is probably not the best uh, motivational soundtrack to have in my ears. <laughs> Career opportunities, the one that never knocked. Like, Better go listen to some hate breed. I haven't watched too many of your hate breed videos. What's that going to tell me? Uh, hate breed is like if extreme ownership was a hardcore band. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I love it. It's great. It's like, uh, it's like Tony Robbins or Jocko, but it sounds like you know, throw down. Dude, I'm, I'm fucking down. I, uh, I, we're on Twitch, right? I probably am going to get banned for swearing. I apologize. I think, I think you can swear. I think that's okay. I swear all the time. I haven't been banned yet. Okay. Well, it's probably coming if you keep having me. On. <laughs> One of your videos that I really, really love is anything that has to do with the emo explosion in the early 2000s, because that 
I'm 31. I was born in 1989. And I wasn't one of those music nerd kids. I didn't have hip parents who had Simon and Garfunkel and Led Zeppelin three playing on vinyl in the living room when I was five years old. So I first got into music when I heard the really hooky, catchy songs by My Chemical Romance and Taking Back Sunday. That was my musical coming of age period. And you've done a lot of videos on that time. And I appreciate that. Well, I, I, I have a soft spot for that, too. I was a little bit older, but still. You know, that was like, because I'm like the same age as the people in all those bands. And that was interesting to me because that was people that I knew or were friends of friends were like becoming like famous celebrities. Like Pete Wentz was in bands with my friends. And I remember seeing him at shows and stuff back in the day. And then I see him on Perez Hilton with Ashley Simpson. I'm like, wow, this is wild. Pete from, he used to be in this like hardcore band called Extinction. Pete from Extinction married Ashley Simpson. What is happening? where was he based out of? Where was he? Playing? Chicago. Uh, Extinction was from Chicago. Indiana, but he's from Chicago. I've talked about this a couple of times, but I remember being in high school and getting mad when from the senior square at our high school where all the cool kids hung out, I would hear playing out of the speakers, a fallout boy album. They would just the, the jocks and the cheerleaders would play a fallout uh-huh. boy record like their first record from start to uh-huh. finish. And I would be like, Fallout Boy fucking sucks, dude. Mike him for life. And though that's I, so much I more was, incredible. Exactly. I thought it was so lame there listening to that. And now I hear the music that is popular amongst the high schoolers. And I, I'm exposed to it, I suppose, through TikTok yeah. or whatever. And I'm just like, holy shit. It, it was a miracle that anybody in high school at my age was listening to something as good Absolutely. as Fallout Boy's first record. It's gotten so much worse. And I didn't even appreciate Man. it. I like that album now. When I was in high school, the football players listened to Corn and Pantera. I love those bands. I do too. But imagine that now. Imagine like a the high school quarterback listening to Pantera. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I'm I'm down with Pantera. I, I've gone back and listened to the first Fallout Boy record. And I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 always strange seeing anything that you were into when it was a subculture become you know mainstream. And a lot of people in the culture obviously don't like that so much. Uh, I don't I, I don't really have that weird. Um, I don't know. It feels like insecurity to me to that people like make that like such a big part of their identity that I'm the only one that likes this thing and. I'm threatened if other people like it. I, if, if I think something is cool, I'm happy when other people like it. Finn, I can't even describe to you how insecure I was and how much I sucked when I was in high school. That was one of my hundreds of shortcomings. But I agree with you now completely. It's lame. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, jujitsu a bit too. Let's talk about it. Yeah. We're both purple belts. That's right. You're 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 a 10-year purple belt. I'm like a six-month purple belt. So you're probably a much better purple belt than I am. I just had COVID. So my cardio is a little suspect right now, but... How, how much have you been training over those past 10 years? Um, I have trained in spurts. I The past 10 years, I uh, was basically not training in college. And then in the middle 2010s, from 2014 to 2017, I was training really, really hard, even competing. And then I brought it back this year around March, started training again. And I've been training a lot here in LA and Basically, I've been pleased to see that I've picked up right where I left off. Were leg locks as popular now as they were when you were kind of were at your most serious? Yeah, leg locks, for people who don't understand, are an evolution in jiu-jitsu. The original Hoist Gracie at UFC 1 style jiu-jitsu, even up until 2011-12, attacking the bottom half of your opponent 
was not just not popular. It was seen as a type of foul, not a literal foul, but it was it was a faux pas. You were a dick. You can break my elbow, but you can't break my ankle. Exactly. And then there was a revolution where a lot of guys started attacking the legs and traditional jujitsu practitioners who had been doing it since they were toddlers didn't know how to defend. A purple belt could roll into the gym and tap out a world champion black belt because the world champion black belt hadn't devoted any time to leg locks. And uh, now it's in competition. The leg lock dudes are the best. And I have to say that I still neglect leg locks. I do jujitsu just for sport and for fun. And I don't have a lot of fun rolling for heel hooks and knee bars. It's like a whole other um, half of the sport, like all this, the leg entanglement transitions and all that shit. I have a couple of my old training partners are well, like one of them heel hooked uh, one of Eddie Bravo's black belts in 10 seconds. And Eddie Bravo teaches his black belts heel hooks. That's for sure. So that's really impressive. So that's how good he is at heel hooks. And it's like, I train some of that stuff, but man, it is, uh, it's a whole other ball game. But I wanted to ask, which of the jujitsu stereotypes are you? You seem like you might be the sort of the advanced spaz that like, you know, when we say we're going light, you'll throw like a baseball choke on me at 110%. You asshole. No, I'm actually in my personal life and all facets of it. I'm pretty much the opposite of who I am on camera. I'm the guy who profusely thanks my barista for pouring me a cup of coffee. I'm the guy who always tips big when I go to sushi. And I'm the guy in jujitsu who's super, super friendly and respectful. Uh, what stereotype am I? I feel like most people would think I'm the gangly guard player, but I actually have a pretty, I have a pretty nasty top game. My, uh, my knee cut pass is like black belt level. I'm like, I can, I can knee cut the shit out of people and get past their guard. People would think the same thing. Look at me. Cause I'm like 5'11, 165, pretty, pretty skinny, but I don't, I'm not a big guard player either. I'm a pressure passer. I like to pretend I'm a fat guy. What kind of pressure passes do you like to play? I don't actually know the name of it. I guess they're called like weave or leg laces, like what Clay Guida does. That's like my icon. Sure. You uh, slither your arm through your opponent's legs, pin them to one side of his body, pin it with your shoulder and then snake around his guard. Yeah, that's my shit. Yeah, I'm, I have a little more space when I pass. I do a lot of X passing. And I like double underpasses a lot, too. See, you're getting down into the shit. That's scary to me. Yes, I put their face. Put, I, I literally put my face right on their dick because I know it makes people uncomfortable. And they'll it'll throw them off for a second. Like, I'm willing to have my mouth on your penis to get this guard pass. I'll blow a guy. Whatever it takes to get my three points. <laughs> you got to do what you got to yeah, do. Dude, I, uh, for me, I, I pass with a little bit more space. A more Leandro Lowe style, if you watch him. He's this Brazilian guy who's out there throwing legs around, high-stepping, X-passing, knee-slicing. Yeah, I, I, there's a little more space in my passing, I'd say. Got it. Well, your, your fake white belt video was actually the first one that I saw mm -hmm. on some MMA forum or something. Maybe it was on like the underground mm -hmm. or something like that. And I didn't realize that was you until I had watched your other videos for like a couple of years. Mm. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's the fake white belt guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I went into an academy, a local jujitsu gym wearing a white belt. And at that point I was pretty rusty, but I was still a mid tier purple belt. And of course, I roll with guys who are good and they think I suck and they're not giving me anything. And I start throwing up submissions and guard passes. That was the idea. And I'd seen that done on YouTube before. Never well, but I saw that it, the videos had outrageous numbers of views. So I replicated it. And of course, it, it followed suit. And got, I think it has 1.5 million views. And it's a really cool video, too. I, I don't think this was your video, but I've been trying to find this video again for a long time. 
it's one of these bike prank videos where they put like a buzzer on the seat of it and then let people steal it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that wasn't me, but I've seen a lot of those videos. There's one of those where they do one of those and the guy who they prank tries to fight him. And whoever was doing the video, like clearly had trained like MMA or jujitsu because he fucks the guy up. Like, you know, just in this park. And I was thinking that the ultimate humiliation, you get pranked, uh, caught start trying to steal a bike, and then you get your ass beat uh, right afterwards. That is such a liability. If that guy decides, if the guy who tried to steal the bike decides to sue, I think he might have a case on his hands, even though he was trying to do something illegal. That's probably true. How much do you think about that? I, well, I just got off the phone with my attorney. So it's something I've definitely had to think about as I accumulate more and more money that could potentially be lost. And as the channel grows, it just, as I grow, I start. I'm having to start doing official business stuff. And California, of course, is the worst state to do any of that in. So it, it's tough. It, it's one of those things where it is a headache of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, but you'll be glad if, if anything ever does go wrong, you'll be glad you did it. Sure. Are, are you up for taking a few questions here? Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm having a great time. From Nipples, any self-help books or media that you recommend? Question for either of you. Sure. I think a really, really good place to start, and this might seem corny because he's really well-known, Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within is a great all-around approach to mental health and success. A lot of other books I've read have gone into various... They basically turned a chapter of Awaken the Giant Within into a full book, but Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within is like an encyclopedia for being happier and more successful. So I think that's a good one. I cannot agree more with that. I've seen Tony Robbins live twice, and I didn't even know... He, he has made a game-changing difference in my life twice. And I didn't even know who he was the first time. I was in college and I was debating on changing my major from graphic design to marketing. And it was like kind of a big deal because I was paying tens of thousands of dollars for this. And I didn't even know who he was. I had just downloaded some random MP3 of his onto my iPod Nano or whatever it was. And the talk that he gave was called Don't Major in Minor Things. And it just made the light bulb go off in my head. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to pull that up right now. I haven't heard that. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, this is probably from 2005 or something. I was just like, it made it instantly clear to me what I needed to do. More recently, uh, he was talking about answering the call about how like you hear the call, but most people, and you know what you need to do, but most people are afraid to answer the call and do what they need to do. And that's why they end up, you know, missing opportunities and ultimately taking their life in a direction that doesn't make them happy. Uh, Tony Robbins, like he seems go watch his Netflix documentary. If anybody like hasn't, he is not what people think. Like people think he's some sort of like televangelist fraud or something like that. He he's not what you think. I really highly recommend checking him out. Like even, even if you're thinking right now, you're thinking this is bullshit. Tony Robbins is snake oil. Just give it a chance. Go watch the Netflix documentary. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. From FNL chat 99, Danny, I'm 21 and I'm lost. What was your resource of peace and calm during your early 20s? Same for Finn. Greetings from Baja, California. Yeah, it's a tough time, man, because in your 20s, I think most people haven't really accomplished anything of substance. I think there are people who go to a good college and get a good job, 
But I know now for a fact that a lot of those people aren't happy and really aren't truly successful. How do I know that? A lot of my friends who are making 180 grand a year at law firms have hit me up and said, hey, man, how do I get into YouTube? I want to get into comedy. I'm burnt out. I've gotten a lot of those calls from people who went down the traditional path. So I think it's totally natural where you're at, first of all. I think you just need to accept that. For me, it was nice when I was 21 because I was in college and I had this artificial societal stamp of approval on my ass. So at Thanksgiving dinner and at bars in my hometown, I could tell people, yeah, I'm in college. And everybody's like, whoa, he's doing good. But then once I graduated and decided I didn't want to get a real job, that went away. And then I had to tell people I'm a busboy, the tipsy pig in San Francisco. And you just you got to be mentally strong, dude. You just have to have the self-confidence and the vision to know that your temporary struggle is going to be worthwhile. And that once you reach your 30s and and your 40s, you're going to be glad you did what you did. Whatever you're doing. Always pays off. Might take a long time. It might not work out the way you thought it would, but it will always pay off. Yeah. And just like the book we recommended, the uh, talk that Finn recommended by Tony Robbins. Keep reading, man. I'm willing to guess that your shithead 21-year-old friends aren't real positive influences in your life. I'm willing to bet that your mom and your dad, I mean, my mom and dad are, are great, but they work nine to five and then they come home and watch TV all weekend. They don't know right. a lot about achievement. So you got to start finding your own mentors, whether they be physical or in, in print, and you just have to have confidence. But also, you got to pick a direction, too. So that can take a while. You just got to figure out what you're good at, what kind of lifestyle you would like to see yourself leading. You just have to find the intersection of all of these various things, your skill set, your your dreams, your ideal life. And then you just have to confidently pick a path and go for it, despite not knowing where you may end up. I, I would add to that, which you kind of touched on, surrounding yourself with the right people. I don't know who said it, some rapper, whatever. If you hang out with nine broke motherfuckers, you're going to be the 10th. And it's true. And it's not just about money. Like, I mean, you it's up to you how important money is or isn't to you, but just happiness. If you hang out with unhappy, miserable, negative people, it's it's going to infect you whether whether you um intend, like no matter how hard you try to resist it, it's like a cold. You're gonna get infected eventually. Um and and hang out with people that you might not think you would get along with. Like, for example, when I was in college, I thought that I only got along with like artsy people who liked the same kind of music and shit that I like. But then I changed my major to business and I started hanging out with a bunch of the kids in the college of business. And I was like, these people are fucking awesome. I actually like these people a lot better than these negative assholes in the hardcore scene. Yeah. Fuck this shit. And it might mean a physical move. I, Finn, am I correct? You moved to Cleveland at one point and wasn't it complete garbage? Yes, that is correct. Moved from Seattle to Cleveland and that worked out exactly the way you would guess. Yeah, absolutely. I've been to Cleveland. It was actually fit. The city itself was beautiful, but I don't know what the, the humanity is like. Yeah, man, for me, moving to a better place was big because now I have access and I have friends who make millions of dollars a month. Whereas if I stayed in my hometown and I'm assuming the 21 year old is lost, I'm assuming he doesn't live in Manhattan. When you get to a better place like Seattle instead of Cleveland, you meet people who have a better way of running their mind, who have better goals and aspirations and careers and incomes. And that can't help but rub off of you just by virtue of alerting you to those things being possible for your life, too. Couldn't agree more from 
Shadow and Jabri, Jabri, question for both of you. Where do you get motivation when you were down and don't have any? I think you need to consciously cultivate motivation all the time. That's why I have a morning routine or like I spoke about where I read for 30 minutes and I have a statement of purpose I read. It's my goals, my life purpose, where I want to be in three years, how I'm going to get there. It's two pages handwritten out that I read aloud every single morning. And my desk, I have a Russell Wilson quote up here. I have a Conor McGregor one. I have the John Wooden pyramid of success being mailed to my house right now. I just believe that you have to cultivate that motivation. It's not just going to always be there. I Yeah, I would say act even when there isn't motivation. I think people have the idea that... Um, you get motivated or inspired, then you do stuff. I think it's the other way around. So even if you're not feeling it, like as Jocko says, some days I just go through the motions, but I still go through the motions. You know, that, that's, that would be my advice. Like don't wait for motivation or inspiration to strike. Just have a goal, have a plan and just execute on the plan, no matter how much you're not feeling it. Cause you know what you got to do hundred mm-hmm, percent from the average poser as someone with a ton of fear, when it comes to talking to people, have you guys ever had that, that problem and how did you overcome it for networking or making videos? It's just something you have to practice. I think if me and Finn moved into a cabin in Montana for six weeks and then you released us, I think we would be very socially awkward. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm naturally an extrovert. It's just something I practice a lot. I podcast almost every day in some form or another. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, one of the things I love about it, and maybe this will be helpful for whatever his name is who just asked this question, Brazilian jiu-jitsu makes me more confident in social interactions and it helps me filming videos too. But but yeah, man, I, I think it's just, I, I think you have to get over the idea that you're going to be happiest on your couch underneath a Snuggie with a, a tub of ice cream watching TV. You got to get out there into the world. That's just going to make you feel shittier and shittier every, like, do that occasionally, you know, that's fine. But if, if that becomes your lifestyle, it's going to make you feel shittier. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I'm not like socially anxious or socially awkward necessarily. I just don't like to bother people. That's the reason why I've sometimes like, it's, I'm not scared to talk to people. I just like, I don't want to bother them. And dude, every, everybody has that. That's why, that's why there's so much turnover in sales jobs, outgoing sales calls. Everybody has that. Absolutely. Because sales is fucking brutal. It's tough. Yeah. But here's here's what to do is just have a script that you follow. And you'll realize actually, so like, let's say you go to a networking event. Everybody there is thinking the exact same thing that you are. Oh, I'm glad that I'm here in this room full of people that I would like to talk to, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I ho- sure hope somebody comes up and talks to me. Everybody is thinking that, including you. So if you go over and talk to somebody, they're going to be thrilled and they're going to think that you are like the alpha awesome person. That's like, Oh my God, he or she is so like confident and like, Oh, this, this person must be amazing. When in reality, you're the same like chicken shit that they are. So I would say just have a simple script. Um, for example, like I, before in the before times when we were allowed to meet people in person, I would go to these tech meetups here. Cause that's kind of what I'm interested in. And uh, it's a bunch of like introverted nerds. And I would just go up to people and say, hey, how's it going? I'm Finn. What brings you here? Just ask them about themselves. That's my my secret kind of hack. Keep asking them, oh, that's, oh, what's your company? What do you do there? Oh, that sounds interesting. What's the most challenging part about that? Oh, I've heard about this other company in your space. Um, are, are they cool? You know, just ask questions. People love talking about themselves. 
And they will walk away from that conversation thinking that that was like the coolest interaction. Now they're going to think you're so awesome and you have the best social skills when you're going to be like, all I did was ask him questions about himself for 15 minutes. They're going to think it's a great, and you don't have to say shit. Also, uh, me and Finn are giving you permission right now to go get mortally humiliated because it's necessary to achieving success, man. I mean, I have gone on stage in front of big crowds and bombed as bad as you can bomb in stand-up. And I have had so many other failures, just bad jokes, bad videos, horrible interactions with women, with potential business partners. It's just the successful. That is the way they earn their stripes, dude. Don't judge yourself. Realize it's part of the process to go make a fool of yourself and then just go on to the next person. And remember, you only need to get somebody to say yes once to potentially change your life. When I was still doing printing and I didn't know, you know, how I was ever, I wanted to be a graphic designer at the time. And I had no idea kind of how to make it happen. I felt like I was going to be trapped there forever and I would apply for jobs and get nothing. And I would, you know, try to, I don't know, just get a meeting with anybody about anything. I never heard, like I got so many no's or, or I wouldn't even get a no, I would just get ignored. Um, but eventually I did that for hundreds of times, you know, over the course of years. And I probably made myself look pretty stupid in a lot of those because I was applying for some job I was totally unqualified for, blah, blah, blah. But eventually one person said yes. And then I got a job there and I ended up working for like Nike and Red Bull and Nintendo. And once you get like that one breakthrough, well, now I can say that I worked for those companies. And like that was the beginning of everything getting a lot easier for me. You just need one person to say yes to totally change your life. So be willing to eat shit 99 times just to get that one. Yeah. The amount of unsolicited cold emails, direct messages, comments I sent out to big Facebook pages, to other influencers. When I was in my early YouTube times, I mean, I can't even count how many times I just didn't get replied to, or they said something nasty. Part of the process, man. We give you permission to go embarrass yourself trying. Yep. I mean, for example, here from the chat, Jarrett X Narkek X. Uh, guys, I literally asked Finn for a job that didn't exist, which is editing the stream highlights and setting up the, I mean, he helped me with the Twitch and discord and stuff. I don't even remember how I met him. I met him at, I, I remember meeting him at NAM a couple of years ago, but I don't even remember. I mean, he must've messaged me or something. I don't even remember how, but we met a couple of years ago. Now he's edit, you know, he's editing the streams and stuff. And this is going to be, I, I want this to be a really big opportunity for him. All of my employees, Finn, either cold messaged me on Instagram or they showed up at a public function I was at. All of them. And like, they're all super great. Nico, Ian, and Austin, super competent guys. If you're competent, the world is yours. That's all it takes. Competent and reliable. You can do anything you want. And my goal is just to make sure these guys are all set up in their lives too. I want my success to be their success. Just because they're competent, they reached out, they work hard for me. And if you do the same thing, you can do whatever you want. Somebody will say yes eventually. You know, it's just a numbers game. A hundred people might say no, but that's okay. Yeah, same with my podcast editor. Like that's the person who edits my main channel videos now, which I never thought I could find somebody to edit those videos because I thought I was so special and blah, 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 which is a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, I still have that mindset. Yeah, <laughs> it's not true. Yeah. I have somebody edit my main channel videos now. Same thing. He just emailed me and said, hey, I, you know, this is what I do. Here's what I've worked on. Uh, I'd love to, you know, edit your stuff. And I've gotten a bunch of emails like that before, but there was just something about, I guess, just the way he worded his that made me go, all right, let's try it. 
And I'm so fucking glad he did because that has been like life changing for me to not be chained to that edit station, you know, for X hours a week. So put yourself out there. Just, just ask. Um, I think that is the message here. Oh yes. Here's one that came up a couple of times. So I want to make sure we ask Danny, are there any characters or skits that you thought were going to kill, but didn't, or any that the fans responded to that surprised you? So basically all the many times that you thought something was going to be great or, or thought something was going to be shitty, but actually it went really well. Um, yeah, one of the things that people really responded to well was I, I remember Finn, you messaged me about this. We put out the pissing off liberals in San Francisco video. One of people's favorite, yeah, Amazing. one of people's favorite parts in that video was the fake Bernie Sanders voter guy, which which is very yes. scripted and it's very acting heavy. And acting is my big weakness in comedy. I do not feel like I'm a good actor. A lot of people really loved it. That was the best part of that video. I don't know. I don't know why, because it's nothing like it's nothing special, but just the way you Thank did you. it. Appreciate is, that, so no, but do you know what I mean? Like I'm joking. I'm fucking... it, it's there's nothing on paper. Like if, if I read that, I would say, I don't know, but there's just something about the way you delivered it. That was hilarious. Yeah, and the, I really appreciated that, that a lot of people, that was their favorite part of the video. But on that same token, I did a video in Cleveland, Ohio, one of the greatest cities in America, in January. And there was another semi-acting segment at the end where we invited a girl. Like a, Basically, she seemed like a groupie. like She just wanted to bang me. She drove four hours to the Christmas Story house. That's where we, we were renting the Christmas Story house in Cleveland. And the idea was that she was going to show up and I was going to be all fucked up on cough syrup. It was faked. I wasn't actually drinking cough syrup, but that was the idea. We just wanted her to think I was this YouTube monster who just drank Robitussin and fucked groupies every night. And uh, we she got there and I acted like I was all fucked up in the living room in which Ralphie unwrapped all of his presents. And uh, the, a lot of fans hated it. And my editor and I, when we watched it back originally, we thought it was great. And um, that's that's something I believe in more and more now. Uh, John Wooden talks about this. I just finished a John Wooden book is that you are the only one who knows if you're successful. Success is a personal journey. And if you prepare the best to the best of your ability, I, I plan my shoots correctly. I'm writing. I'm making sure my performance game is good. If I do that, then what fans think of the content, I sort of have to tune it out because if I start only listening to fans, they might influence me in the direction of being the guy who hits on girls at college campuses. You just have to do what you believe in and prepare. And then occasionally there'll be the pleasant surprise victories of the Bernie Sanders guy. And occasionally there'll be the very hated on things like me being fucked up on cough syrup, trying to bang a groovy. Well, there you go. Danny, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, everybody go uh, follow Danny on uh, Instagram and check out his channel. All that. Anything else that uh, any, anything else we can plug before I let you go? Uh, yeah, just Danny Mullen on YouTube and Danny Mullen on Instagram. And I had a great time, Finn. And I think this was a good resource. I hope this helps some people out who might need it. Save, save the kids. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you in person soon. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. 
Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.